is now, because my willpower to check my own attitude will work for like a week or two. And then I find myself right back to it. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I try now just to talk with God about what is it that's in you that if you could, you could be enjoying yourself right now. Mm -hmm. Right. And I just help me. Right. Show me what you see. Right. And, and then I just keep doing that. And yep. eventually you start seeing life through the eyes of God. Right. Yes. It, it can comfort you Amen. in the midst of the heat. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Is the and he'll jump in the fire. There's always something to be thankful for, even when you hate the heat. Mm -hmm. And I told Jay, we, we need to just jump in that swimming pool of ours. Yeah. That might help. <laughs> it definitely never, would help. I never get in the swimming pool. Did you hear Daniel complain about the heat? No. Or Meshach or Shadrach or Abednego? <laughs> Did they complain about the heat? Jesus is right, right there with them. Amen. <laughs> we sat outside this morning, though, and there was a little breeze, and it was actually... Pretty nice. If you lived up like, north, it'd be like it never gets warm enough for us to get in our pool. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> I did see a funny meme on Facebook though. It's a PSA public service announcement. Stay in your house from eleven o'clock in the morning until November. <laughs> yes, I saw that too. <laughs> Wondering if we think we have enough seats. Bobby's there. Linda, you have enough seats over there? Oh, is this Mo? Yeah. Oh, Mo's right there. So you're over here next to me or next to Bobby? Or right here. Glenn, happy birthday to Sue through you. Absolutely. Happy birthday to Sue through you. Yeah, well we'll just we'll just happy birthday through you. Happy birthday through you. Happy birthday, dear Sue. Happy birthday through you. Thank you, man. That's why I wanted to carry it on. She's got to listen to that. Yeah, I did. Normally, Friday morning, I try and post because we do Wednesday night, and I don't want to pull people from that. So, but yeah, if it's ever not there Friday and you want it, feel free to tell me or tell Sue to harass me, whatever makes you feel. I went on the seat when I didn't see it. Oh, it was great. The yeah. most uh, comfortable. Um, so theologically, some theology today. Theology is not evil. <laughs> the scriptures aren't evil. Reading the scriptures aren't evil. What, what's happened, though, is the scriptures have been presented to us in a very intellectual, technical way, which makes the reading of it, it can like hurt our brains sometimes. So we can get lost in the wordiness and all of that. So one of the things that I try to do is, is to bring out the relational aspect of what is in the scriptures, because the scriptures are actually, a, it's difficult to look at, see it this way when I hold this like this. But this is actually a beautiful painting. It's a beautiful work of art, right? That that has more colors and more intricacies and and more e emotions and, and and more beauty in it than than anything that's ever been painted. I'm not talking about the book. I'm talking about the brush strokes and the colors that are in the book that are used to paint an image of God and our relationship with God. Right. And I think sometimes we just cast this to the side and we think, who cares? I don't understand anyway. Right. And it's fine if you, you go through a period of time where you're not reading the scriptures. But what I'm trying to encourage you in is, is not to make a judgment and then let that judgment shape your whole life. Right. Forever. Just be like for this period of time. I'm not reading, you know, as much as I was. Right. But I say all that because some of these things can sound intellectual or wordy and then we toss them. But there's some beautiful things in, in the theology. You know, for instance, the the scripture talks about God desiring to be our God and him desiring that we would be his people. Right. right? And right. It, it says that several times in the scriptures. Right. right? And, and even that can sound like, what, my God, his people. 
and, and to make it more relational, which that is still relational, you could say that God desires to be your father, and he desires for you to be able to live as his children, right? You, you could say it like that. And, and with that intent of, of him, I mean, the reason why he, he wants to be your God is because he wants to refresh you with his life. He, he wants to be your provision for life. He wants to provide a house for you, and he wants to provide for you within that house a certain kind of life, and the kind of life that can satisfy you, that can nurture you, that can cause you to flourish in, in more ways, exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever ask or think, right? And so we have this movie in the United States from a long time ago, and it was a, a baseball kind of a movie, right? And, and the movie was called The Field of Dreams, right? And, and in The Field of Dreams, the whole premise was, is if you build it, they will come, right? They kept saying it, if you build it, they will come. If you build it, they will come. Well, that's a funny cliche that we've adopted in many different areas of our lives, right? For instance, in the church here, do you know what I know? If you feed them, they will come. <laughs> Indeed. And it's, I don't think it's just this church kind of a thing. No. It, it may be everywhere, but in the South, like for sure, right? If there's free food, I mean, yeah, I'm going to be there, right? Uh, as kids, we, we maybe drink, you know, more beer than we do now. And if you saw BYOB on the flyer, bring your own beer, that wasn't the kind of party you wanted to go to. You want to go to the kind of party where they're providing you with all of the, the party supplies, right? And so... If, if, if you feed them, they will come, right? Well, God had the same kind of an idea, right? If we feed them, talking to himself, they will come. And so he's desiring to be our God. He's desiring to be our Father. He's desiring for us to come and dwell with him in his house, for us to actually be his house so that he can refresh us with his life. And not just like a one-time refreshing, but like a continuously refreshing. Like Paul said, be continuously filled with the Spirit. Be continuously uh, refreshed with the life of God. Be continuously nourished by the life of God. And so God, he saw if we feed them, they will come. And so what God desired to do was to prepare a table in his house. And he desired that the table that he would prepare would have on it that which could serve us with life. Right. So that if we could see that this table in his house was full of life and that he wasn't demanding for us to come into the house and for us to set out the table and for us to prepare the table and not just for us to prepare the table, but for us to bring in the offering or the sacrifice that would be laid on the table to eat. He saw that if he could do all of that, then they will come. If we feed them, they will come. And so he desired to provide himself as the lamb. If you notice in the Exodus, they ate the lamb. They ate the meat of the lamb. And in eating the meat of the lamb, that caused death to pass over them. Do you know why it caused death to pass over them? Because within the lamb that God provides is his life. And if you partake with God in his body, in his life, that will cause death to pass over you. That will nourish you and refresh you with the kind of life that even overcomes death in the flesh. And so this is God's whole desire behind sacrifice and offering. If we feed them, they will come. If we feed them, they will come. If we provide the meat, they will come. If we provide the life, they will come. That's why his house is called the house of worship. And the worship that would come out of you, make no mistake about it, the only righteous offering any of us could ever offer is for out of our mouths to cry out, Father, into your hands I commit my desire for life. That's a righteous offering unto God. And the whole thing is, is that when you came into the house of God, you would see that he provided the food that could give you life. You would see that his own broken body is the meat that can refresh you with life. And out of your mouth, you would cry out, Father. You understanding all that so far? Yes. Now, last week I mentioned Malachi with respect to the, the account of Jesus in Matthew 21, where the the Pharisees and the priests are in the temple and they're selling <coughs> offerings to the people, right? And I've mentioned, this is really all about Malachi. And go and read, if you love reading the scriptures, go and read Malachi and think of Malachi in light of what Jesus does here in the temple, right? Remember Malachi 3. I mean, you could go read Malachi 1 where it talks about they were making unrighteous offerings, Right. And he, it was talking about how there would come a day where a righteous offering would be made. 
right? And the unrighteous offering was that they were telling the people that they were the ones that had to provide the sacrifices and the offerings. They were telling the people that God demanded sacrifice and offering from them. God didn't demand for them to provide the sacrifices and the offering. God was trying to teach them that he would provide the sacrifice and the offering. But until the day that the Lamb of God would come, the Lamb that God provided would come, that God himself would come in a body he prepared for his word, until that day would happen, God had these sacrificial systems in the Old Testament law to prophesy of that day coming. Well, they were starting to look at those sacrifices and offering and think that it was about God demanding that the people give him something. And that's why it became an unrighteous offering, right? And that's why they were called robbers in the house of God. Okay, so Malachi 3 starts talking about prophesying about John the Baptist. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And God starts talking about how he'll raise someone up that will bring the meat into the storehouse, that there might be food for the people to eat. Well, when Jesus clears the temple of the robbers, he is bringing the meat into the storehouse. And do you know what he's bringing into the storehouse, which is the place that God uh, places his name, the house of worship, the house of God? Do you know what it was? Provision for life. It was life that he was bringing into the house of God. And you might think, well, how do you see that, Greg? Well, I see that because he healed the blind guy and the lame guy. And he was bringing into the house of God that which could heal his people. That's the meat that he was bringing into the storehouse. Now, we know it goes on to be further fulfilled because Jesus offers his body on the cross, which is the bronze altar. That's where the sacrifice was offered, was on the altar. The altar is supposed to be the table God prepared. And God was preparing a table on the cross. And the table he was preparing was his own broken body. That in us partaking of his body, my, this is my body broken for you. The cross is God saying to all of us, this is my body broken for you. That we might partake of that. And in partaking of his body, we would become one flesh with him, one body with his life, and we would be healed. Right? And we would cry out, Father. Now listen to what Malachi says. Remember, it says they were robbers, thieves. That word's robbers. Will a man rob God? Now remember, in light of everything we just talked about was sacrifice and offering. Because the scripture comes and says, sacrifice and offerings you didn't desire. Right? You desire mercy and not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And so we could see right there that something had gotten crooked with the sacrifices and offerings. It's not that God didn't give them the sacrifices and offerings. It's that he gave them to them to tell them something about him. And the thing it was supposed to tell them is that God's filled with loving kindness towards you. And he's going to provide you with the meat that can heal your life. Right? Well, they thought it was about God demanding something from them. Right? So in light of that, what we talked about. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. <coughs> now, do you know how they were robbing God in tithes and offerings? Because the tithes and offerings were supposed <coughs> to declare about how God was their provision for life, about how God would serve them with what they needed for life, about how the house of God would be the place where the people would come and the people would receive provision for life from God himself. That's why you took the tithe into the storehouse, which was the increase of your meat, your strong drink, whatever it is you had, and you brought it into the storehouse, and you know what you did with it? You ate it. <coughs> and the reason why you ate it is because it was supposed to declare to you or keep you shut up in to the faith till Jesus would come and he would provide his own body as the meat and it was supposed to declare to you that God is your provision for life that he's with you to serve you with life he's with you to be your God well they were robbing God in tithes and offerings because they were telling the people that God demands the tithes and offerings from them they were teaching the people that God wants them to bring the offering to him then he's the one that needs an offering. He's the one that needs the sacrifice. He doesn't need an offering or the sacrifice. He desires to provide the offering and the sacrifice. He desires to provide the meat. He desires to provide the bread. I mean, the bread came down from heaven, didn't it? The people didn't go and gather wheat in the field and then make the bread and bring it into the house. The bread came from heaven and they went and gathered that bread. 
And they even took a tenth or a tithe of that bread and stuck it in the Ark of the Covenant as a testimony. A testimony of what? That God is our food for life. He will provide us with that which can feed us with life. He is our nourishment. He is what? Our God. You can't be a God to people if you're demanding sacrifice from the people. You're not their God. You can only be the God of a people as if you're the one that provides the sacrifice. And make no mistake about it, the sacrifice is to feed the people with life. That's what it's about. That's what it's supposed to be about. That's why you ate the tithe. You're eating, you're feeding on the bread of life that God would provide. So will you rob God? They were robbing God. What were they robbing God of in tithes and offerings? Because they had the money changers table set up in there. And they were making the people buy sacrifices and making the people offer the sacrifice to God as if God was a heavy yoke on their life and was demanding these things from the people. Now Jesus comes in there and cleanses the temple. He's the high priest God raised up, right? To bring the meat into the storehouse or to bring forth worship in the house of God. Jesus is the high priest that came into the earth that could bring forth something in people's hearts where they would cry out, Father. And do you know how he did that? He offered his own body up to be broken on the altar. We see God prepared a table, and on the table is God's own broken body himself, God himself shedding his blood to redeem us from death and serve us with life. And now we become the house of God. Now we become the house of worship because when we see what he did to serve us with life, it was never about what we could give him to have a blessed life. It was always about him pouring out the blessing of his life onto us. We end up crying out, Father. And that's what the true worship is. That's what it means to be a worshiper of God. That's why Jesus said the time is coming where the true worshipers of God will be seen, who worship God in spirit, even in truth. Well, what did the spirit come to do? The spirit came to guide you to the place where you saw what? Father. It even says the spirit of adoption come to lead you to the place where you cry out father. So you worship the father in spirit and in truth. The spirit leads you to the place where you see the truth about God is with you to be your father and you're not an orphan. And now you become as a little child, meaning out of your mouth comes Papa, Abba, Father. And now you start running into the house of God when you need life. You start calling upon the name of the father when you need life. You get caught up in this intimacy with the father when you're walking through this world and something stings you or something. Something's telling you you lack. You find yourself immediately caught up with the Father because there's a table that isn't just prepared in the heavens. That table's also been prepared in your heart. And you see the table of life that you need when you encounter the death and destruction in this world. It's in you. And you connect with God in your heart, right? And you start finding yourself refreshed with life as you walk in this earth. And God is no longer being robbed in sacrifices and offerings, right? Because he's able to be your God now. That's how you rob God. He wants to be your God. And if you're not being caught up with him when you need life, he's being robbed. And you know who else is being robbed? You are. You're being robbed of your inheritance as his children. You're being robbed as his people that would receive life from him and not from your own works, not from your own offerings, not from the things you can do for God, not from the things you can work up for God. And our whole modern day Christianity has been centered around the type of belief that robs God. Yes. The type of belief that we're going to come with an offering to God. And through our offering to God, now we're going to inherit a blessed life. And now we're making our own works our food for life. And we're robbing God. And we've been robbed. That doesn't mean that we don't give if we feel a desire to give. But whatever you give to the church, whatever you give to support the ministry of the gospel, it's not an offering to God. That is not what it is. It's called generosity. It's called you being filled with so much abundance because you see God has sowed his life into your heart and you become persuaded that you lack nothing, that you find the ability to give out of what you have to promote the gospel or to spread the gospel because you see the gospel is that which can feed people with life, right? But that's not to be confused with an offering or a sacrifice. And that's what we've made it, right? You see that connection? Go back and read Malachi if you like reading the scriptures. Mercy, you desired mercy and not sacrifice. You desired the knowledge of God and, and not burnt offerings. So the, the, the priests in Malachi, and it wasn't just in Malachi, Malachi's just hitting it. He's just hitting it. He's just hitting it. 
They were robbing God because the sacrifices weren't teaching people about the loving kindness of God. The sacrifices that they were implementing and the heart behind what they were doing with those sacrifices, it was causing those people to think that God was like a taskmaster, that God was like Pharaoh, that God was desiring for them to provide the meat that could feed them with life, right? And that's why they were robbing God. And that's why Jesus would later come and say, and I love how the author of Hebrews quotes the psalm, the psalmist, and quoting Jesus, sacrifice and offering you never desire. Now we got this whole perverted view of Christianity where people realize that, that the cross isn't about God uh, dealing with his anger. The cross, they, they realize the cross isn't about God going through a 10-step anger management program. But then, because they're still dealing, they're still thinking from the carnal mind, then they jump all the way to the other side, which is, I don't know, this might be more perverse. Because at least the other way, you realize that the sacrifice is still needed for you to be delivered from sin. Well, then they jump to, there was never a reason to have any sacrifice. And that God never wanted any sacrifice. And the whole idea for a lamb came from the devil. Listen, man, I, that might be more perverted. I'm not sure. We could argue about that later if we like. Right? But that's not the point of saying sacrifice and offer you never desire. It's that this sacrifices was never what it was about. And so it was never about what you could bring and offer God. God was always prophesying about the lamb he would offer, about God will provide himself a lamb. Just as Abraham said when his servant said, where's the sacrifice when you're going up the mountain with Isaac? In Abraham, by the spirit of the son. Do you know what he says? God will provide himself a lamb. And so Jesus, coming now as the son, sees the scriptures, sees the sacrifice. He sees Genesis where God says someone will come, a seed of woman will be born, and you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. And Jesus starts to see the cross was about him. And he starts to see that Abraham saying God will provide himself a lamb. And Jesus hears John the Baptist say, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus being filled with wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He's, he comes into the revelation. He comes, I don't want to say the revelation like he had no inkling of it, but I want to say the picture starts to become more clear inside of him where he's realizing I'm the lamb. I'm God. I'm the lamb God is going to provide. And he starts seeing the sacrifices in the Old Testament. And he starts to see sacrifices and offerings you never desired, but a body you prepared for me that we might provide ourselves on the altar, that our broken body could feed our people that are being stung by death with the light that even overcomes death in the flesh. And Jesus starts to see that's what it's all about, right? A body you prepared for me. How can our people be delivered from a body that's been full of corruption? How can they be fed with the life that can even overcome corruption in the flesh and raise them up in incorruption? How can it happen? Well, into the children made partakers of flesh and blood, it said that he partook also likewise. That in his blood being shed, he could redeem them from death and destroy him who had the power of death. Him who was able to convince the people that there wasn't a table prepared for them in the house of God that had been set by God, that had been uh, prepared with life by God. That's why the psalmist comes and says, you prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. That's a table full of life, he's saying, right? And so Jesus comes as that. He offers his body up to be broken. He sheds his blood. And shedding his blood, he puts off the body that was filled with corruption and sin and death. And he's raised up in a body, free from death, free from corruption, free from sin, a body incorruptible that could never be touched by sin and death again. And we start feeding on his broken body, meaning that we see we put off corruption in him and we start feeding on his glorified flesh, which means we have inherited an incorruptible life. Even in this earthen vessel, we have that treasure, right? And the, the whole point, I don't want to say the whole point, because you could say many different things. It's the manifold wisdom of God. But at the end of the day, God's trying to bring something forth in us. He doesn't tell you to do it, but he's trying to unveil something in our hearts that causes us to be caught up in this thing where we're seeing the, every, every single thing that we're desiring for life 
is all found in him. Yeah. Like we desire a good reputation. So maybe something happens in this world that tries to destroy your reputation. Where we're in that place and we could feel the lack and we could feel pressed in upon that our name is being destroyed. Because we've all been taught all you have is your name, haven't we? And so what do you think we feel in the day our name is being torn down? We're needing a good name. We're needing a good reputation. Well, what God did, he did something so that if we find ourselves in that place, we would see the, the, the good reputation we found, the good name we found is in him. And the, 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 the satisfaction of our desire for a good name and a good reputation, whatever life it is we think we could suck out of having a good name and a good reputation, it's actually found in him. And so that in that place where we felt lack and we felt tormented, we felt like we came behind, we would find ourselves, Abba! And I'm not just talking about words out of your mouth. I'm talking about where you would be caught up with God, talking with God about how he placed his name behind your name, about how your life is hidden in him, about how this thing you're desiring that from a good reputation that you know it's actually found in him and your union with him and his life. And you find your desire for life satisfied, right? Yeah. And in, in every situation, it isn't just a good reputation, anything you could think of. Right. I remember when we first started the church. <laughs> And I thought if, if people, there are so many people talking about so many things, so many people so confused about so many things, destroying everything that is good with all of their nonsense and all of their vain imaginations and all of the people arguing about everything about the gospel, all in the name of the Lord. And it was all corrupt. Yeah. And it was when we first started the church. And I remember thinking, I remember feeling a pressing in. This isn't right. And it's true that it wasn't right. Right, But I still had some corrupt thinking in my heart that if these people come and destroy the truth, no one will believe what I'm saying is the truth. And then how will Becky and I live? Mm. How are we going to survive? Right? Yeah. Well, then God showed me. The desire I'm having to be provided for is actually found in him. Not in whether or not these people are preaching the truth or not. Oh, okay. And so now I'm connecting with God to find my desire for provision satisfied instead of looking without. Do you see what I'm talking about? Brothers and sisters, there's a million different areas in our life where we could feel that. Yeah. And God provided his, his own self as the lamb so that there would be meat in his house, so that there would be life in his house for you every single time you think you need life. Not just one time where you think, well, I'll call upon the name of the Lord and now I have eternal life and that's it. And it's true. If you've called upon the name of the Lord, you possess the life now. But I promise you, there's going to be times as you possessing life that you walk through this earth and things are going to try to sting you. And they're going to try to convince you that you're coming behind in some good thing you need. And they're going to try to convince you that you don't have what you need for life because of what you see going on around you. And in that place, man, we're God giving us the spirit. So that spirit draws us up into him when we're in need and we're feeding on that same life. Daily. This is my daily bread. Oh, you are. This is my daily bread. Remember that song? Yes. We got so far from having live worship, we can forget the emotional component of getting caught up with God. But that's one of the reasons why I love worship the most is daydreaming with God, to quote the title from last week. Yeah. You get caught up in daydreaming with God. I mean, I could go sing that song and start crying like a baby right now. Thinking about God as my daily bread. Mm -hmm. Right? Your every word spoken to me. Oh, you are. Right? That's the gospel. Mm -hmm. That's what it's trying to do. It's trying to catch you up in that. Because we're always going to encounter things telling us, you come behind. One thing you lack. Or this is happening. Well, if this could change, then you could have what you need. Right? No, no, no. God, the gospel, is the revelation that everything we need, everything we're longing for, is actually found in God. And we see that he, he's not far from us, as if we have to climb up into heaven to get it, or as if we have to descend down into the pit, meaning making our own offering. It's not far from us. He's prepared a table for us right in our midst. He's poured his life out through the Holy Spirit. He's poured the life out that was oozing or that was shed when he allowed his body to be broken. And his seed was planted into the earth. It's in our midst, right? And the more you hear the gospel, this is why I talk about the hearing of the faith. The more you hear the gospel, and I don't mean like, okay, we're just going to work a principle. It's called sitting at the feet of Jesus, actually. Right. 
right? When you're sitting at the feet of Jesus, you're hearing about what God has done to prepare a table full of life for you. And you're sitting there hearing it, right? And the grace that we all desire, the grace we all long for, it is found in Jesus. It's found, it's sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing what God has said and done in him, right? Right. Right. <laughs> Malachi isn't just a bunch of words. It has a deep and profound meaning with respect to the heart of God. God isn't fickle. Do you see what I'm saying? God isn't fickle. He doesn't get upset like we get upset, right? Like if our air conditioner ain't cooling down <laughs> and we can get upset. God's not fickle like that. And so when you read in Malachi, God being upset, he's not upset in the sense of people not obeying his orders. He's not upset in the sense of a general in an army could be upset because a cadet didn't follow his orders. He's upset because he's wanting to serve people with life yeah. and he sees the priests are doing something to rob him from being able to provide life for the people. He's seeing the priests are doing something to, to, to rob the people from being able to partake of the life that is their inheritance. And I got to be honest, I know exactly how that feels. Right? I don't, I don't just go off about the, the errors people preach for no reason. It's because, and I'm just going to be honest, it's because there's a whole lot of systems that have been created by the world's thinking, just like it was in, in Malachi, inside of the, the modern day church structure that has made the house of God Right? We're the house of God. But if you're talking about a physical structure, the house of God is the place where God would place his name. Well, that's the place people would come to have intimacy with God. Well, the house of God has become nothing more than a den of thieves and robbers again. Where all it is is talking about what the people need to give God and do for God in order for them to partake of life. And so if you ever wonder why is Greg so worked up, that's why. It isn't over the meaning of one word. It isn't over some semantics dispute about what evangelism is. It's because it's the difference between people receiving life from God and people thinking they have to provide life. Yeah. And that's a big deal to God, I see. Yeah. Right? And it's a, it, it, it's a big deal to me that people come into the house of God and realize that the house of God exists to heal them. The house of God exists to feed them. Right? That's what it exists for. And when, when we have it backwards, man, we're robbing God from being able to be Father. We're robbing Him from being able to be God. We're robbing Him from the people, from their inheritance, which is His life, right? It's like we, we, we've raised up a bunch of prodigal sons where we say God gave us an inheritance and now we're going to take our inheritance and we're going to go off with our inheritance and create life ourselves. Is what we've done. Instead of seeing the inheritance is God himself. The life God has in himself that he's all of the time continuously refreshing us with. And that's why the, 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 the letter to the Hebrews would say, come to the throne of grace with boldness. Right? That's how you come with boldness when you see he's father. And you see there's a table prepared for you. When Listen, when I would go run... In Colorado, once every week, I would do a 27-mile tempo run. Now, through the course of doing that 27-mile tempo run in the summer, I would you would literally lose like seven pounds. And so literally, right when I was done with that tempo run, like I literally feel like I'm going to die, yeah. right? And you know what I'm beelining it to? Just like barely hanging out the window trying to get to? This place called Ralaberto's because they make breakfast burritos. And this breakfast burrito is not the kind of thing that people in the South know about. The people here <laughs> do not understand about breakfast burritos. This thing was like jam-packed. And I literally feel like I was going to die just trying to get there. 
right? I was coming with like boldness, with a purpose, right? To get my hands on that thing because it was going to nourish my body with life. Well, that's the kind of thing that happens when you see the life that you're desiring in every situation, every situation that you encounter, and you, you think it's in the way of you having life or you're desiring life. Man, you see that life is found in God in the table he prepared for you and how you're coming there with boldness, not just to stand there, but you're coming there with boldness to feed on what he's done so that you could find strength in your time of need, so that you can be comforted by God in your time of need, so that when you're in your time of need, thinking your body is being broken by what's going on, you see that God's body was first broken, and that he prepared himself a body, so that his body could be broken, and that you could partake with him and become one body with his eternal life, and that the death you think is breaking you now, you can start to see there's a life in you that causes death to pass over you, and you start to find yourself receiving strength in that place, right? As the deer right now that's all theology yep. and we've gotten so jacked up in our theological rendering I'm just going to be honest you don't find theologians connecting the dots like that because they've gotten caught up in headiness yes right in technical renderings yeah. right and it one of the it, it breaks my heart for for them. It breaks my heart for the people not seeing the beauty of the scriptures. But another reason why it breaks my heart now is because you see people, because we've come out of so much horrible, horrible Bible interpretation, they just want to toss this out the window. Because this has not been used poetically. This has not been used from the heart, from the heart of God. It's been used in a complete, it's, really, it's, it's dead, the way it's been used. It's The word in here isn't dead, but the way it's been used has become dead. Right? You know, it's interesting when uh, what is written in Malachi, when he speaks right after he talks about being robbed of the tithes in the offerings, where he says, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the hearts of their fathers to the children in the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite them. And uh, so, this is clearly speaking of Jesus coming, but he, he refers to it as the great and dreadful day of the Lord, because when he came, he was going to reveal himself to the world, and eventually, be rejected by men and go to the cross that there might be meat in the house for the people. Yeah. But that whole period of time, all of his teachings, everything that he was communicating to the people was the reality that there would be life provided for them and that that life would come to them through the cross. Yeah. And it was the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And who was Elijah? That was to come. Right. John the Baptist. That's right. Look at the relentless tenderness of God. That even in the place where he was being robbed, and they made his house a den of thieves and robbers, this dude was not discouraged. I, I, it seems so simple. I, I'll... I, what do we say? I feel the feels. That's what Erica Galat would say. I feel the feels. Mm -hmm. I do also. I feel things intently. I don't just feel things, well, well, no, no. I feel it all of the way, right? And you you could just see the, the relentless tenderness of God there that in the place of all that happening, this guy decides that he's going to come and prepare a body for himself, his word. John says the word is him. He prepares a body for himself so his own body could be broken. He will not be denied from providing meat for his people to eat, right? He will not be denied. He won't be discouraged. And I just want to give everybody this word. For those of you that feel the feels, you can feel discouraged a lot, right? Well, I just encourage you to realize it don't really matter if you feel discouraged or not. It matters if God feels discouraged. And you could go read in Isaiah about God saying he will not be discouraged. <laughs> God can't be discouraged. So in the day you feel discouraged, that's okay. Guess what? 
You don't need to not ever. It's, there's not some law that says if you can never be discouraged, that will be the power to you having life. You know what will be the power to you having life? Is that when you feel discouraged, you can connect with the fact that God's not discouraged. And your life is hidden in him. So hallelujah. If I'm discouraged right now, that's okay because this dude's not discouraged and my life is hid in him. Right? Now, if he's discouraged, we got a big problem. <laughs> right? Yes. I've used this illustration before, but it's like, you know, you get a toddler who falls down and skins his knee. And the first thing he does is he looks at his mom and dad. And what he's looking for, he's looking for their reaction to see if it's really bad or not. Because he don't really know how to judge it himself. And so in that discouragement, man, look and see if God's discouraged. That's right. That's a great example. One one of the problems is is we've been we've been taught that he is discouraged. You disappoint. Exactly. I mean, so that's like it. We we don't realize that we attribute our own thoughts and beliefs on to God, and we also attribute them on to other people. It isn't just God. Yeah. Right? We feel right. it, and we attribute it onto them. Right? Yeah. If I feel something about my wife, then I just assume that's what she's feeling on the inside too. Right? And you run down the road with it. But God isn't discouraged. I think about the relentless tenderness of God. When you look at everything that man did, that man was so far from letting God be their father that when he came, he forced himself into the picture as father because only a father would let their kids nail them to a cross and not smite them or return evil for evil. And so even when we were rejecting him as father, he used our rejection of him as father to demonstrate the most glorious picture of father, right? Is that he never returned evil for evil. That even when we came and smacked him and spit on him and mocked him and stripped him naked, even when we did all that, there he was falling on our necks, embracing us, being father, even when we refused to let him be father. And you start to see the relentless tenderness of God there. And you start to see he could not be discouraged, even though we were rejecting him to his face. Imagine a guy come to father your life, which means to serve you with his life, to nourish you up with his life, to refresh you with his life. Imagine a guy come to do that and you take that guy and nail him to a cross. He wasn't discouraged. I mean, earthly fathers, and this isn't to reject earthly fathers. A lot of times I read a lot... Uh, of studies and articles, earthly fathers, if they think their kids have rejected them, a lot of times they just give up. Well, yeah. and they're off with it. But this guy, no. He wasn't discouraged. Even when we were nailing him to a cross, he wasn't discouraged. Yeah. Right? He comes to be found. That's part of what makes him God. That's right. That's a huge, gigantic component of what it means to be God. We've allowed the world to create God in the image of worldliness. That's why we have pagan gods, like Clash of the Titans. Like I just watched this movie, Immortals, again. I don't know if you guys have seen it. But you have Zeus and all these other gods that are demanding things, right? Well, the, 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 the church has allowed their view of God to be shaped by worldliness. And now we have a God that demands sacrifice instead of a God that says, I will provide myself as a sacrifice. And you can't. You can't really be God if you're demanding sacrifice from the people. Those are false gods. In fact, we say they're false gods. One of the reasons why they're false is because they're demanding from the people. They're sucking life out of the people instead of providing life to the people. You see? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I just, you know, after last week and Wednesday night, I just, Malachi started becoming so much more clear. How have you say you robbed me in tithes and offerings? And I see that the tithes and offerings were about the people knowing God was there to serve them with life. Right. Well, the priests weren't teaching people that because they weren't bringing the people to the place where God placed a name and having them eat the offering. And so God was being robbed, right? The knowledge of God, knowing God according to his loving kindness was being stolen from the people, right? God desires to be known, right? He, he desires to be seen. He wants to, and it's not for his own selfish benefit. It's because he desires to empty himself for you and to serve you with life. And if you don't come into the knowledge of God, then he can't serve you with life. He can prepare the table, right? He can give you the garden. But if you're not coming, what can he do? Right? But again, I encourage everybody, go read Malachi. 
and and think of the verses about sacrifice and offering you never desire and you desire mercy in that sacrifice right the knowledge of god instead of burnt offerings and then read malachi and look at the tithe and the offerings and what they are doing and and in the 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 account of matthew where jesus finds the the He's made the house of God into a den of thieves. What do thieves do? They steal. Okay. So they were stealing from the people. And you know what they were stealing from them? The knowledge of God and their inheritance. Mm -hmm. Well, right after Jesus gets rid of the thieves, he stands up as God in the temple and he provides those people with life. And he's establishing what the house of God is. It's a place where the sick come to be healed. It's a place where those who don't have life come to receive life. It's a place where people come to partake of the life God has in himself so that they can be healed. It's a place where people come to be refreshed by the presence of God. And there's Jesus. He's the presence of God. And the blind guy gets healed and the lame dude gets healed. Right? Now, what do you think those dudes went off doing after they were healed? Glorifying God. Right. Father. He is our God. You can just see people running through the streets in Jerusalem. He really is our God. All those things we read, that he will be our God and we will be his people, he is our God. Look, look what he did. I didn't give anything. I had nothing to give. You can just see him running through the streets excited, you know. He, only God can forgive sin. And this guy forgave my sin. He sent it away from me. Look, I've been made whole. God's with us to be our God. You start to see people being refreshed by the presence of God. Which is serving God. That's right. Because it's interesting, the opportunity for carnal interpretation is immense. And Malachi 3, 17 and 18 says, And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them, as a man spare his own son that serves him. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serves God and him that serves him not. So you could you could serve him. Yeah, you know, I gotta be in the church, I gotta serve God. Yeah, but that's talk, not what that's talking about. talk about Jesus. And how did he serve God? Abba. Yes, right. Call into your hands, yes. I commit my life. For what reason? That there could be meat yes. in the house. Yep. Yep. That's the only way his body was going to be broken on the cross, which is the altar. There's the lamb, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. He's also prophesying about establishing a new high priesthood. There's Jesus also in the temple. Right? The ministration of life. Mm-hmm. The high priest comes to administer the life of God to people. You know, the twisted interpretation of the robbing God that's painted in such a way is you're robbing God and, and it, it paints this picture of people had quit giving. Right? right. Well, that's obviously not the case because there was so much giving going on that people saw an opportunity to set up a table and start a business. <laughs> <laughs> you see that the the righteous one would be the one that showed the people that god is there to serve them with life yes Yes. right yes that's the righteous one right yeah in him cleansing the temple and overturning everything he was cleansing their image so that they could come and be healed Providing him, providing the nourishment that they needed for life, showing them that that's the Father. Yeah, that's that's God. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. I I think I love the way you bring out the relational aspect mm-hmm. of what we have, <laughs> you know, and the love and the intimacy of you know. You can look at the scriptures and see that, and I'm beginning to see that more and more as I read the scriptures, you know, as I read the Bible, you know, it's just, it comes to the relationalness and, you know, what we really have. And I was thinking the other day, I was driving into a lady's Bible study and it just came to me, like, there's a difference between having the knowledge of the Son of God and the knowledge about the Son of God and how the knowledge of the Son of God being born in us faith in us and, and pointing to that intimacy and relationship it's born you know having the knowledge of Jesus you know like it's it's I was reading 
Second um, Corinthians four says, "For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ." So what Jesus had in Him, in showing us the Father, is what's born in us versus just having the knowledge about Jesus, yeah. you know, or the knowledge about you know historical or what he did or you know okay he overturned the tables in the temple what did that mean yeah you know what did that point to and i I was trying to think of an example and i shared it and i said i said you know y'all know me and you know i make good biscotti not to be bragging but you know you think Mm -hmm. i make good biscotti okay (laughs) so you know something about me but if you had the knowledge of me in you you would find yourself flowing in the ability to bring forth biscotti, <laughs> you know, and flowing in that. So it's just like and there's a one cool thing, example. There's one thing in knowing she makes good biscotti and eating the good biscotti. Yeah, now it's <laughs> in you. There is me in my storehouse. the meat in the storehouse. And also knowing the passion that's in your heart as you're making right. the biscotti. But I was just thinking it in the, no, yeah, the yeah. knowledge of yeah. flowing in, living in, finding your life born from the yeah. knowledge of the Son of God, what was in him, having the faith of the Son of God yeah. in us instead of just having yeah. our own faith or just knowing about yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. It was just really like I was just driving, you know, mm-hmm. listening to one of your messages and I don't even think you were talking about that, but it just came to me. Well, <laughs> so it it's beautiful you... how the scriptures yeah. will bring forth the intimacy and relationship. It makes you wonder how many people just know God right. intellectually. Exactly. I yeah. mean, actually, don't even know, but know a lot about him. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's probably true. I think a lot of people. I mean, there's a letter in the Bible about it. James says that even the devils believe God exists. Yeah. Right? And so I think a lot of people think faith is to believe God exists or to believe that Jesus existed. Now, we know he did exist. (laughs) We know he does exist. And we know he's always existed. Right? But that's not what the faith is. Right? I promise you the devil believes God exists. I promise you the devil believes Jesus exists. Right? And that's the point James is making. Right? That's not not what it is, man. It's continuing in the word of truth. Right, it's continuing in the perfect law of liberty. Right, right, it's continuing to behold yourself in the law of liberty, meaning God got it right to liberate your world from being held, liberate your life from being held by this world. Right, and He got it right to cause your life to transcend a merely natural, uh, earthy state, and He hid your life with Him. Right, and now your life is born from a heavenly substance. Your life's been born from above, guys. You've been begotten again from the word of the truth that God is the father of all living. And now because you've been begotten again from that word of truth, your life has come from above, right? So don't go on living as if your life is held in earthy things or as if your life can be added to or stolen from by earthy things. You need to go forward and continuously behold your life in the face of Jesus. Behold your life in Jesus, in the father, right? As you walk in this earth. Glory to God. Thank you guys for letting me get that theological thing out.